A delay in the tax cut delay plan. Farmers fight the Humane Society and each other. And two different money stories in the race for U.S. Senate. These topics and more this week on Columbus on the Record. From the Battelle studio at WOSU at COSIDE, this is Columbus on the Record, WOSU-TV's weekly analysis of the top stories affecting Central Ohio. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Bill Cohen, Statehouse Correspondent for Ohio Public Radio, Julie Carr-Smythe, Statehouse Correspondent for the Associated Press, Terry Casey, Republican Strategist, and Joseph Moss, Attorney and Chairman of the Ohio Hispanic Coalition. It has been about two weeks since Governor Strickland proposed delaying the last phase of the state income tax, a move many have labeled a tax increase. Since then, it has been pretty quiet, but the local service employees union has produced a TV spot pushing lawmakers to approve the plan. A crisis is brewing. Violent criminals, rapists, even sex predators released early, roaming the streets unsupervised. As inmate numbers skyrocket, state budget cuts could close correctional facilities, slashing the number of parole officers who keep an eye on criminals. If no one is watching the criminals, who are the criminals watching? Call Senator Harris. Tell him to support Governor Strickland's tax freeze and stop the cuts. Paid for by SEIU District 1199. Senator Harris, of course, is Senate President Bill Harris, the leader of the Republican Senate. Julie Carr-Smythe, news just today, Friday, Democrats are on board with the governor's tax plan, more or less. Right. They are um, going to uh, move forward with it exactly, I think, as he proposed it, which is to, to postpone it for two years, uh, which would put it off into the governor's next term, if I'm counting right, mm -hmm. uh, and then to uh, add to that some legislative uh, pay cuts, which is, I guess, a, a measure of, of uh, good faith and a symbolic gesture more than anything else. That was two weeks a long time for the Democrats to come around, or is that about right? Well, the House, the House Speaker has been very unhappy because this is all about 2010 politics, not just governor, but control the Ohio House because the Speaker only has a 53 vote or votes, and a lot of them are right on the bubble. And then it's also about control of the apportionment board. So everything as you get closer to the 2010 election, it's all about politics. But the real question now, I think we assumed all along, in the end, the Democrats were going to come on board. They usually support their Democratic governor. But that means now the ball will be in the court of the Senate Republicans. They dominate the Senate. Uh, and it's so interesting, the silence from President Bill Harris has been deafening. Uh, you know, uh, last November, he told a group of uh, State House insiders, quote, no matter how bad the economy gets, the Senate will not, I repeat, will not raise taxes, he said. Uh, and now, instead of saying, we're not going to do this uh, tax cut delay, he's saying, well, we're looking at it, which is really fascinating. And you've got four major business groups, the Farm Bureau, the manufacturers, the Chamber of Commerce, and others. Uh, you might think they'd be siding with Republicans in general and saying, no, we've got to go ahead with this tax cut. Instead, they basically endorsed it. And, and, you know, undeniably, Terry is correct, and it doesn't matter who's in power. The issue of the, the, the whole topic of taxes is a hot potato. But nevertheless, maybe it's a good thing. I think people in state government are recognizing that 
taxation is unfortunately an element that they need to consider, especially with the, the budget issues that they have certainly been looking at. Were there but some liberal Democrats who wanted even more of a tax hike or more of a delay or yeah, a deeper delay? 11 of them, 11 of them came out with their own plan. Uh, they call it a half a millionaire's tax because uh, they wanted to add a whole new tax bracket to the, to the income of those making $500,000 a year or more. Yes. Plus, they wanted to wipe out the entire a five-year tax cut on income above 200000 So they say, yeah, we need a lot more money than what the governor wants to raise because we want to restore a whole bunch of cuts to mental health and uh, developmental disabilities and, and everybody else. And the ad is just a um, symbol of how bad this has now become politically. I mean, it could have been done uh, initially. It would have been painful for him to promote this, this uh, tax delay uh, at that time, but now all of a sudden... You know, every enemy of this idea has had a chance to make a game plan. Um, we're going to see a lot more of that. And instead of it being sort of a complicated math problem during the budget, it's now going to become a political problem. And Bill Harris remembers very well from the spring and even early summer when both the House Speaker and the Governor were vehement that taxes are the wrong thing to have happen in Ohio right now. They were very strong, very vehement. It was like they were channeling Jim Rhodes on no new taxes. Uh, and so they've run on no new taxes and now they've got a reverse, which is awkward for political people to explain. So what's the timetable? When, does, when do we expect this to be approved by the House, be put in the hands of the Senate? And is it by Christmas we have the, a resolution to this one way or the other? Would you guess? We need to. Mm -hmm. um, the budget is already, uh, the budget year has already begun. Um, it was built on money that is not there. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so uh, it, at this point, it's sort of, um, uh, it's an accounting problem. The, the responsible thing to do would be the sooner the better. But the, the, the main the reason it needs to go so quickly is because a tax booklet's tax information to accountants needs to get printed in three or four weeks. So uh, the tax officials are saying, hey, you got to do this quickly. So there is a there is a deadline there that for the, for the just from the logistical standpoint that they have to get this done. Now, Citizen Action, Ohio Citizen Action, Catherine Terser, our good friend, was out with a report this week, saying that the legislature hasn't done a whole lot, and some of it was blamed on this divided government and the Republicans and Democrats not working well together. Well, part of it depends on how do you judge a legislature? Is it by the number of bills they pass? Because sometimes it isn't always about quantity. It's sometimes about quality of the workmanship because clearly as happened on the slots bill, the governor and the legislature got slapped for rather sloppy uh, workmanship and how they put that package together. Not passing a lot of bills may be a good thing. I think many people in Columbus think the fewer they pass, yeah. <laughs> the less trouble they're in over the, there. The other side of that is that they were, they, the critics were saying there's a lot of work happening behind the scenes. Is that necessarily a good thing? It's not in the public well, eye. fundraising is happening behind the scenes. Well, they said a lot of legislative work was happening, but just because they're not passing bill, they were saying they're doing good work behind the scenes. Well, the energy bill, for example, uh, was very complex. Um, they're looking at telecommunications reform. My understanding is that's been two years in the works. Um, by various parties, including you know the lobbyists and associations, but also the lawmakers, and there is some of that. But I do think it's um, uh, after that many years of Republicans being able to just simply pick up the phone and call uh, the governor's office or the House or the you know and talk it over and decide 
it, it doesn't work that way anymore. Well, the you good, know, the good news in Ohio is we only have 132 legislators. Pennsylvania's got 253 for a state comparable in size. They pay up a lot more without term limits. So Ohio's got its issues, but proportionately our number of legislators and what we pay them is not as bad as some other states. Terry, you mentioned the quality of legislation. You could argue they haven't been great on quality, quality either. Remember they passed that uh, payday loan crackdown plan last year and then they find they didn't really write it very tightly and the payday loan folks have uh, basically charging in some cases almost as much as they were last year. And not year. all bills are really, I mean, don't forget the, the pawpaw. <laughs> official state fruit bill wasn't that a? That's right. You know, that's a, that yeah. was uh, that's a bill. Count that it. That was you know? an act of daring on their part. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Topic two: If you drive out in the rural areas around Ohio, you see the signs everywhere: vote yes or vote no on issue two. Now the campaign is heating up in the city. Issue two would change the Ohio Constitution, creating a livestock care standards board. The board would write regulations for animal care and food production. The move is designed to prevent a humane society effort to implement even stricter care standards. Opponents say it benefits factory farms, not small farmers, and it will not improve animal care. Bill Cohen, why should the non-farmer care about issue two? Well, if you're a non-farmer who's an animal rights person, you should care uh, because you, you might support uh, the humane society's move to say, hey, you can't cram that many chickens uh, into a cage. You have to give pigs more room uh, in the barnyard, whatever it might be. Uh, on the other hand, if you're a non-farmer who wants to make sure you're getting the cheapest food possible, you may want to vote yes because you don't want to have these restrictions on farmers that might raise the price. We all know you go into the supermarket, you got the cage-free eggs, and they cost more than the regular eggs. Well, and we've been a poster child for a particular factory farm case, this Buckeye egg case that lingered on for years and years. And despite the sanctions and the regulators coming in on that, uh, it went on and on and into new ownership, and I believe still to this day exists. Uh, yeah, the problem seemed to have been alleviated, at least as far as regulatory, but well, the current the way the current law is written now, but, but it's still there. Right. One of the important distinctions on this, it is a constitutional amendment, which bothers some newspapers like the Dispatch, but it was a product of a bipartisan legislative, the governor, they all kind of worked together and at least got scrutiny as it went through the legislature in terms of what's in the bill. And it's a relatively short amendment compared to the issue three on the casino thing. This is a few paragraphs. The casino thing is, I think, four different pages of details. So th there's some, everybody has some worries about amending the Constitution, but at least it went through a legislative process. As an attorney, I don't really like to see constitutional amendments of this type. And by the way, I guess we haven't mentioned it, but it creates a 13-member commission, mm -hmm. most of whom uh, are actually industry types. I think by my count, maybe uh, nine of the, of the 13 industry types. And, uh, and, and Bill is absolutely correct. I, I think that there is a disconnect in the consumer out there uh, with the issue of what really happens in an industrial type of farm setting. Yeah, the Constitution, the amendment, if it passes, would create the board. But it doesn't say what the board will do, or what doesn't. Con does, there's a pretty broad responsibility. Shouldn't the shouldn't the amendment say, yeah, you got to care for livestock, but it, it, they're pretty. It's pretty open-ended uh, after it's it gets created. As you go along, and yeah. and they do have the power to create the standards. And yep. you've got some local humane societies now, folks who really care more about puppies and cats, who are worried that livestock might be interpreted to include 
dogs and cats, and so they're worried that this could be used to stop legislators from cracking down on puppy mills. Now, whether they're right or not, who knows, but it's a good, it's a, definitely a good emotional sales pitch on why pay, or, maybe some people should be voting no. Or not crack down on them, which I think is the, their concern. Yeah. Um, Michigan faced this. They worked it out with the Humane Society before it got to a ballot issue. Why didn't the legislature work it out with the Humane Society here? Well, some people in Ohio looked at what they did in California, and California is a scary state because they do so many of these things that sound good on the surface, and then to make them work, they don't work very well. So they felt they wanted to stop some of the national. I mean, there are a lot of people that believe in veganism and being a vegetarian, but in reality, for the 90% plus of the population, they want quality food, which they're getting now, and they want a, affordable prices. They don't want prices driven through the sky because you get into some narrow, esoteric ways that a narrow group of people want to have. And there is a certain amount of pride in our state. I mean, our lawmakers moved the um, oversight of our, of our factory farms from EPA to the Department of Agriculture a number of years ago. They have a program that they're pretty proud of there that they, they believe is, is doing a good job of, of finding that balance between you know, treatment of the animals and prices and, and farmers' rights. And on the price issue, let's not forget that Ohio farmers would be competing with the farmers throughout the United States because in interstate commerce, you can't prohibit that anyway. Uh, one, just one thing is, though, that the legislators really rushed this thing through. Lightning speed in just a few yes. days. There was virtually no debate about it. And I think that's one thing you can, you can raise some questions about. The small farmers, they think, the farmers' union opposes this, but the, the larger, you know, association uh, supports it because they feel it's, it supports the big factory farms more than the, the little guy. But the Farm Bureau, when you look at county by county, they're mostly your small and medium-sized mm -hmm. farmers. And, and I mean, the days of one farmer having 40 acres and being that productive is hard because farming takes a lot of capital investment, a lot of risk. So it isn't all just about big so-called corporate farms. It's mo When you look at the map of the farming, uh, a lot of western Ohio, northwestern Ohio, it's a key part of the economy in the state. This is standard production methods, small and larger farms. Good. Moving down the ballot, the next issue is the ever-present casino issue. Issue 3 would allow four casinos in big cities around the state. This week, casino supporters picked up additional endorsements, primarily from unions, while the campaign for Issue 3 faced allegations of improper, if not illegal, activities when it comes to the handling of absentee ballots. Joe Moss, you sit on the Franklin County Board of Elections. I do. Are these a few bad apples, or is this a, a bigger issue? I think these things happen and have historically happened. I, I think Terry would probably agree with me, and, and this isn't really a partisan issue. Uh, perhaps as overly zealous uh, workers, you know, the people that are hired to get the signatures when, when, when these issues are, are uh, sent out to, for signature to the public or individuals that perhaps uh, are just not careful enough. But I, I'm not saying that that's what happened in this particular case, but uh, this isn't a rampant thing. But we do have the prosecutors not only in Franklin County, but also in Montgomery County. Cincinnati, uh, and, yeah. On, in, in Cincinnati, uh, looking at the same thing. Uh, I interviewed the person from Fieldworks, which is the canvassing firm who this, uh, at least the one employee referred to a prosecutor worked for, and they said, you know, they resigned from the campaign to focus their efforts on it. I, I sense they don't want to be, you know, the next acorn. I think yeah. they want to just get out of there really quickly. 
Uh, they said they have more than 200 people on the ground in Ohio. This was one person. So, I mean, I guess anyone can take it. So they it weren't they pushed out. They left on their own. Is that, was that your impression? <laughs> or did the campaign said? Well, I, I think that they, you know, they didn't want this to be a distraction. The campaign didn't yeah. want it to be a, a distraction. Right, yeah. right, right. The yes side has been very smart in terms of how they've tried to run this campaign. It's clearly been both more money and it's been more organized in the support they've received, particularly from the unions. But today, Sherrod Brown came out and said he's already voted no on it. George Voinovich is in the Youngstown area campaigning hard against it. Uh, my sense is this issue has dropped in its level of support and historically on constitutional amendments, it's hard to pull it off. Uh, I think they're probably gonna get 46 to 48% of the vote, but they're gonna fall short. Unions support it. You see the firefighter, a lot of firefighters unions this week came out in support of it. Of course, they, they would stand to benefit because a lot of the money generated by this plan would go to local governments and then filter down to the police and fire unions. What impact will the unions have on grassroots efforts to get the vote out? This is an off-year election. You're not going to have 55% turnout like you had last year, whatever it was. So grassroots could really play a role here. It can, and they certainly had an impact on the income tax for the city of Columbus. But, yeah, but, I think that it's a uh, it's a huge coup for them because the unions have traditionally been against the gambling issues, uh, and I think they got them on board through uh, Dan Gilbert's uh, negotiation. He's the Cleveland Cavaliers owner who, I guess, has made them a lot of promises in terms of that he's going to hire union workers on these jobs, and jobs certainly are a huge issue now with unemployment pushing 11%. But the big problem is... When in doubt, vote no. The no side always has the advantage because all they have to do is create doubt. So whether it's the few cases of voter fraud, it's an environmental problem up on the Toledo site, uh, any kind of questions, doubts that come up uh, create caution in people's mind. Plus the whole big issue of do you want to give a constitutional monopoly to just two out-of-state developers for these four casinos? The jobs issue, you know, they say it's going to create 34,000 jobs. A lot of people are trying to say, well, maybe I will vote for that if it does, but I mean, can I really believe the numbers? The Ohio Elections Commission had looked at charges and countercharges over this, and they didn't rule on any of those. They ruled yeah. on some side issues. And so uh, there's no answer, no definitive answer on who's right on the jobs I issue. Yeah. I did look at the University of Cincinnati study, which was kind of interesting that, you know, of the 34,000 19,000 are permanent, and of the 19,000, 7,500 are in Ohio, and of the 7,500, about 2%, or about 150 jobs are going to make over $45,000 a year. So it's 150 jobs that, you know, would really be high-paying. So And when you count jobs, they count each separate construction worker that might walk on the site. So if you have a plumber on the site for two weeks, drywall person for a week and a half, the foundation, those aren't all jobs that are full-time, even on the construction. Mm -hmm. Most of those are fairly short time period. They're gonna be working on the site. Meanwhile, at the State Health, there is a new casino plan. State lawmaker Dennis Murray from Sandusky, 15 casinos spread throughout the state, 50%, not 33% of the gross revenues, 33% being what this latest plan calls for, 50% of the gross revenue goes to the government. Um, there'd be a local 
yes or no on the, at the county level whether you want this casino or not, does this stand any chance of going anywhere? Well, not now, but yeah. I think it's just it's just a method to make the point uh, that Murray wants to make and other critics make, which is, hey, this proposal on the ballot this year doesn't give government a big enough chunk of the action. We can do a lot better. So, no, they're not going to pass it this year, but uh, in next year, who knows? Okay, let's get to our next topic. Two different Senate candidates, two different financial situations. Jennifer Bruner told the Columbus Dispatch this week she is having trouble raising money, but plans to stay in the race, trying to win the nomination over fellow Democrat Lee Fisher. Meanwhile, Rob Portman's comp a competitor for the Republican nomination, yes, he has a competitor, his name is Tom Ganley, and he has a lot of money. Campaign disclosure forms reported in The Plain Dealer indicate his companies are worth at least... $44 million. Terry Casey, let's start with Mr. Ganley. He has said he's going to use $7 million of his own money to run for this seat. Is Rob Portman worried? Well, Rob Portman has raised a lot of money himself. He's got some personal money, but Ganley is a lot richer because I think when you look through the 15 pages, depending upon the ranges, he could be worth 40 to 80 million as much as 200 million with all the different car dealerships. And he's got some name ID in Northeastern Ohio. But being a business person in a way is good, but it's a mixed thing because dealing with the public on these kind of federal issues, particularly when not everyone's happy with GM or Government Motors as it's now known, uh, it's a little different kind of issue than it might have been two years ago. But here's the bottom line. The Republican Party has endorsed Portman. Right. That means on primary election day, the faithful Republican voters, and they may be a fairly small group compared to all the Republican voters in a general election, they will all be have been sent postcards saying, here's who you vote for, here's who the party wants. And I think that if there's any problem that Portman has money-wise, that will more than make up for it. So we've seen wealthy candidates run for office, spending their own money, get a lot of attention, but they don't do as well in the polls as perhaps their money might indicate. Ross Perot being the, the ultimate example. Well, or in modern history, Howard Metzenbaum uh, ran and uh, uh, initially beat John Glenn, uh, but then lost to Taft, I think, in 1970. So if you have money and you spend it well, but Howard Metzenbaum had been a state senator back when he was in his 20s. So he had some experience dealing in the public area that I don't think this guy has. Plus you get to, in politicians, they built up, they build up organizations that are geared for political campaigns and a business person, no matter how talented they are, may not have that organization. The, the money may get even more serious because this is a must win campaign for the Republicans because they're losing that one seat. And so if we're talking about six and a half million dollars, seven million dollars for the other candidate, it, it might get far more serious than that. Though it's actually not nationally as important since the right now the Democrats have 60 Democrat senators. It's not as critical as if, if you know, the balance of power in the U.S. Senate was hanging what happened in the Ohio seats. On the other side, Jennifer Bruner continues to have trouble raising money, uh, less than $228,000, which she raised in the, in the most recent quarter, which will come out next week. She's, stuck, she's sticking in the race, though. She's not she's leaving. Gonna, she's not leaving. Everything that I hear seems to point to the fact that certainly she's staying, which is what she said in today's dispatch, through the primary. And the and more the boys try and muscle her out, the more she, right. so to speak, that's digs right. her heels in, pun yeah. intended. Yeah. Uh, and Jennifer knows very well the last time Lee Fisher won statewide was 1990. 
20 years ago by 1,234 votes. So she know Lee is good at raising money, but he doesn't always convert money into votes as well. Well, and she gave sort of a signal in a statement this, this week that uh, this female issue is, is something she wants to prove a point on, whether she wins or loses, I think, because she pointed out Ohio hasn't had a female governor, I mean, other than the few days Nancy Hollister was governor, mm -hmm. and uh, it hasn't had a, a female senator. And this is starting to be a more common thing that I think she wants to see and is maybe willing to be the test case to see how much can a woman get in, in that vote. She's doing okay in the polls. She and Leah Fisher are neck doing and neck. very well. Oh, yeah. Why can't she translate that into dollars? She's trained. She's changed fundraising staff. Might that help? Well, part of it, it's still relatively early mm -hmm. in a Senate race. A lot of contributors know if they give you money in July of '09, you're going to be back in September of '09. So they kind of try and stall you off a little bit. So it's still early for a 2010 and campaign. The endorsements as well. I know that's also a concern, but it's because you've got the lieutenant governor. Well, that's just what I was going to say. If you think this through, you've got a lieutenant governor endorsed by a governor who's sitting in power, who has a lot of things he wants to accomplish, and nobody wants to uh, give to the the person he hasn't endorsed. And Lee, Lee Fisher's a fundraising machine. If he doesn't have two phones going at once when he's raising money, he's disappointed in his staff. We have a pledge drive going on on radio. Maybe we should get him in there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's get to our weekly off-the-record comments from our panel, some final thoughts and predictions for the weeks ahead. Bill Cohen, you're up first. I think as Terry talks about, uh, the casino ballot issue is probably going to lose on Election Day, but it's going to be closer than it's ever been before. And I think that probably is going to uh, mean that what, what we hinted at before, that legislators in the next year or two are finally going to take the bull by the horns, put their own casino plan onto the ballot that gives, uh, gives the government a better deal. Okay, Julie? I think that uh, Jennifer Bruner will stay in through, and she will, she will do better than um, current signs are indicating she would do. Okay, and Terry. The governor needs a running mate. He desperately wants somebody out of northeastern Ohio. The person he's asked but said no is Eric Fingerhut, but they're working on him again because they really need both the northeastern Ohio connection and a guy who can raise money out of that key area. And Joseph Moss. And Mike Kreider's dispatch reported on the new director of the Department of Public Safety conducting an audit seeking to suspend the registrations of over 47,000 cars who could not be connected with a social security number. This initiative is intended to target the undocumented immigrants in Ohio, and it would serve all of, all of us well, I think, to remember that these are essentially poor people whose greatest sin is to want to be Americans. Okay. That is Columbus on the Record for this week. We are also on the web. We post each show online in case you miss us on a Friday night or a Sunday morning. Check out our streaming video and look for us on Facebook. It's all on our website, wosu.org slash C-O-T-R. For our crew here at WOSU at COSI and for our panel, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week.